my work with the North American Division has taken me you know, in different places and I constantly meet people who knows somebody who knows me or vice versa. And it has reminded me that uh, in life I have to be very careful because I have to be nice to everybody. <laughs> and it is not easy. And so I never would have imagined that I would have started the process of pastoral search here and then, uh, and then discontinued part of that process because I bailed on Elder Aguilera, who's still trying to forgive me. And then uh, I would be back here to speak. And so I have to be nice because you never know where life leads you. I'm reminded of the story I heard uh, Tony Campolo, a famous Christian author and, and professor, um, tell about one day he, is, uh, he, was, he lived in the area of Philadelphia and it was one of those rainy days in Philadelphia and so he uh, took his umbrella with him, got on the train and, uh, and uh, headed out on the train and, and took the train from his house to the office and, and met a lady on the train and, and she was a, a very nice elderly lady that he began to strike up a conversation with and got to know a little bit. And then uh, was so distracted by the conversation that when his uh, exit came, when his uh, when his exit came for the train, he grabbed his umbrella and began to walk out. And as he was beginning to walk out, the lady nudged him a little bit as he was walking away and said, "Sir, uh, you've taken my umbrella. That's my umbrella, not yours." Oh, okay. I'm sorry, ma'am. And so he gives it to her, and then he heads to the office. And then later that uh, day, at the end of the day, he had brought his umbrella to the office and he had looked at his office and he realized that uh, it was obvious and a reminder that was apparent to him that he had a very difficult time remembering his umbrellas because in his office was a whole group of umbrellas that he had brought and left there. <laughs> so he decided this is the day he's going to take all those umbrellas and head home with all those umbrellas. And then he gets onto the train on the way back home. And as he's getting onto the train, he goes to find a seat, and there, as he's going to find a seat, he finds the lady who he had encountered on the train earlier that day. And now he has a full arm of umbrellas. And he goes to be able to, he goes and works his way, and as he's going by her, she just says one line to him. She says, sir, I can tell that you've had a very good day today. And I remember when Campolo said that because he said sometimes it's not good to run into the same people again. <laughs> and I say that with uh, Dave and Pam here because they know me. And so uh, I will be more than happy for you to meet, not me, but meet them, listen to all their stories as I head out. Uh, but it is a joy to be here, as, I, as was said at the introduction. I grew up here. Uh, I grew up in Chicago and uh, always heard about Downers Grove. In fact, you know, growing up in North Shore, like I did, there were two churches. Actually, there were three churches that were always the competition. And it was Hinsdale, Downers Grove, and West, uh, West Suburban. They were always our competition because, you know, when you are a loser for over a century, everybody's your competition. And so uh, it is just a joy to be able to be here to speak uh, and to be with you on this very special time of year. So let's bow our heads for prayer.
God, we come before you this morning because we have nowhere else to turn. Sure, there are distractions that surround us in this world today, but we want to be reminded in the midst of the distractions that you are the ultimate object of our love. It will not be what's under the tree, but it will be you. So we come here to confirm that and to affirm that for our lives as we meet here together this morning and to hear your story again in Jesus' name. Amen. Supposedly, a communication took place between a U.S. Navy vessel and a Canadian uh, naval operations on the coast of Newfoundland in October of 1995. And this is the transcript of that communication. The U.S. ship coming upon this other vessel whose light it could see sent a message, please divert your course 0.5 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. To which the Canadian operation responded, recommends you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. To which the U.S. ship responded, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. To which the Canadian operation responded, I am a midshipman, and I say, no, you divert your course. To which the U.S. ship responded, this is an aircraft carrier. We are a very large warship. Divert your course now. To which the Canadian operation responded, this is a lighthouse. Your call. I would like to suggest to our new family back there that there are times in life when we encounter an unmovable object. It could be the birth of a child. It could be the news from a doctor. It could be the phone call uh, from, a, from a police personnel. It could be a phone call from your child. It could be anything that suddenly Life presents something to you of which you cannot ignore, but you have to meet. And I say this to you this morning, I remind us of this this morning, because about 2,000 years ago, an immovable object dropped into our domain in a way that nobody had ever dreamt or anticipated. And when that immovable object came into our environment, we as a people, we as humanity, had to face it. We could not ignore it. And when that child grew up, he made it very certain that we could never ignore it, all the way to the place of being able to say to everybody, show me the last time you found somebody who was nailed on a cross, but whose tomb is now empty. You cannot ignore it. You cannot go around it. You must learn to deal with it. And this is something that has spoken down through the centuries to every person in various ways. Now I say this this morning, and while the passage that was read this morning was a description 
by Zechariah as he thought about John and as he thought about what that meant for the future of Israel and the reality that now something miraculous was going to happen and was going to impact not just the Israeli nation, but also the world. As he thought about that, um, it dawned on him that this was something that words could capture only by the movement of a spirit. And I say this because the title of my sermon is very uh, outside the, the norm of Christmas, for God so loved the world. You all know the passage, right? For God so loved the world that he what? That should not perish, but... However, I do not want us to forget that first part. And I am, I am convinced more and more about the significance of the first part today, probably than at any point in my young life. For God so loved the world. And I thought about this, um, I thought about this as it relates to so many things these past couple weeks, these past couple months. I thought about this because I believe in, more and more we must not forget that God came not in opposition to the world, but because he loved the world. And I say this because we live in a world where there is increasing opposition. It doesn't matter where you stand on whatever spectrum it may be. Whether it's the fact that the Cubs won the World Series and all you White Sox fans are bitter. It doesn't matter if you're on this side of the political spectrum or this side of the political spectrum. It doesn't matter where you stand on internal issues related to the church, whether it be women should be ordained or not ordained. It does not matter. The reality is, is that God came into this world not in opposition to this world, but because he loved this world. Now that all sounds nice. And it makes me feel warm on a very cold Chicago day. But then when I start thinking about the ramifications of it, I'm not sure I like that. Like I said a little earlier, traveling around and meeting different people, I always am reminded that I have to be nice. And there are times I don't want to be nice. Uh, there are times where I just rather would just and if you talk to Dave and Pam, they will tell you, there were times in high school where I was not nice. And the reality is, is that if we're all really honest with ourselves, there are times where we do not want to be nice. I remember I pastored a church. And in that church was a pedophile who abused his child, who was also a member of my church. He was put into prison. And I had, the, I had to take the, the, the perspective, which I never forgot, is that God was calling me to minister not just to the victim, but to the perpetrator. Because it does not say in John chapter 3, nor did the child come on that Christmas day because he came only for the victim. He came for the perpetrator as well. For God didn't, does not say, for God so loved the victim. Boy, I sure would like that. You know, I grew up in the day of John Wayne Gacy. 
Any of you longtime Chicago people remember, remember John Wayne Gacy? And I had to live with, he had the same initials as me, JWG. My initials, JWG. God so loved the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. And if you read the story of the time of Jesus and the Roman Empire, it was a barbaric empire that used force to make sure that it held dominion and sway and power over every tribe, nation, tongue, and people that it could encounter, including the Israelites. And it was into that world that God loved. Now again, that makes me feel so warm and so nice as though I'm sitting by a nice fireplace in the middle of a winter evening. But then when I start thinking about it, I'd rather not like it. And here's why. Here is why, and I wish it was different. I really do. Because God so loved the world that he gave is, a, is kind of a thermometer for where I am in relationship to people and to the world. And here's what I mean by that. There are times in our attempts to bring this joy of this little child into the lives of other people who do not know him it is sometimes we give off the perfume that what we are offering to people is not the joy of this child, but shall I say, uh, the mundane of the law. And here's what I mean by that. If God so loved the world that he moved into the world, not in opposition, but because he loved the world, then he expects those of us who follow Jesus Christ to move into the world, not because we oppose the world, but first because we love the world. In fact, I would suggest to you that if we do not love the world, the most dangerous thing we could do is try to evangelize that world. Because to evangelize a world we do not love is not to follow Jesus. Because it was love that prompted Jesus to move out of his comfort zone, out of angels surrounding him singing holy, 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 out of all of that and moving into a place where darkness dominated, darkness held reign, and death was never defeated. And he stepped into that world and came into that world, not in opposition to that world, but because he loved that world. And I will tell you that when he came on the face of the earth, people discovered rather quickly that he loved them. And all those who had experienced the unlove of the world starting to flock to a man who loved the world. And thus people began to follow him. And great crowds, John says in chapter 6, began to follow him because of this. So I'm reminded again that God so loved the world is also an expectation that God has for his people that if you follow me, if you are my disciples, all men will know that you do what? Love one another as I have loved you. Now, 
I'm going to qualify this not to a great extent today, but I'm just going to say this. I know in our world today, love just sounds so sentimental all the time. My wife and I, don't ask me why, but one of the things we enjoy to do together, uh, doing together is the voice, watching the voice. Okay, this past week, they crowned their champion. And all the songs, a lot of the songs all talk about love. And they have this concept of love and this view of love and all of this that permeates much of where we live in the world that we inhabit today. But I want to remind you that just because it may be a misunderstanding of love does not deny the power of the reality of the ultimate true love. And just because there are sections within our society that may view love in a way that may not be fully biblical doesn't mean that we should back off the love train. Because it was love. God so loved the world that he gave. In fact, God so loved the world, even in that little child, as that little child was born. And they began to see, like Liam, this little bundle that they were going to have to take care of. And as they were making that movement and preparing, they had to also walk away from certain things because they were now about to encounter the reality of the immovable object of a child born into their life. And so Mary and Joseph left their residence to head home and experience a birth. Shepherds left their fields and came to a manger. The political and religious wise men of the day left their fiefdoms to discover a star and to find a savior. And love drives us to the place where we do really crazy things. One of the things when I, was, when I met my wife, who's singing with a cantata right now, when I met my wife, uh, and she always likes to tell the story of how our mailboxes where we were in, college, in seminary together were located in the same place, and so we would all go down there to get our mail that was put for us that day, and I'm sorry for those of you who are young people, mail is this little thing that's a piece of paper. You, don't, you just can't hit send and it goes. That's not the way it worked back then. There was actually this person that stuck it in a box. There was an inbox before there was an inbox. And so I would always go down there, and she always reminds me of this, and she must have been watching me, because I would always go down to look to see if she was near her mailbox, and if she was, it was a great time for me to check my mail for the 30th time of the day. Because I wanted to leave where I was to see the one that was the object of my love. And Jesus said, I want to see the one that I love, so I will leave so that I can see them face to face, hand to hand, arm to arm. Which is why the writer John says, the word became what? Flesh. <laughs> I remember one very, probably one of the greatest theologians in the 20th century made this comment, which was always a danger for us who are in the church. He said, how strange it is that the word became flesh and through theologians became words again. <laughs> and it is a reminder to me that maybe perhaps the greatest danger for us as people who follow Jesus is to forget the reality that the word became flesh, not to become words again, but to look face to face arm in arm, eye to eye, hand to hand, 
toe-to-toe with the object of his love. For God so loved the world. So now I ask Downers Grove this morning, if God so loved the world that's around us, do we love that world in the same way that he does? And I'll be honest, I'll stand here and I'll say, no. For myself. I think one of the challenges we have in our, in our and I've expressed this to some of our younger uh, professors in some of our institutions, because our younger people today have what I call an activist faith. They want to find a cause that they can join on, that they can latch on something bigger to them, that they can go out and make a difference. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that you have to be careful that your cause doesn't alienate you from the people that God has called you to love and to serve. Because pretty soon it can be the cause, and you are the cause of why my cause is not the true cause. And pretty soon you are the opposition and not the object of God's great love. So I ask myself the question, am I willing, am I able to love as Jesus loved? And the bottom line answer is no. And I'll tell you what's, I'll tell you the greatest immovable object that came into my life that taught me that I don't love as Jesus loved. It was first getting married and second having kids. Honestly. I think God put those people in my life because he knew that John really needs to learn how to love. And if he has kids and if he has a wife, and oh, vice versa, same with her. If he has kids and he has a wife, then maybe he will understand in a little microcosm what it's like for me as a father to love every. I can't do it. And this is why I have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so tight that I love regardless. There is no qualifications. I love regardless. And as a parent, I am now realizing more and more what that means. And I believe Giselle and Daryl, you will realize more and more what that means. And grandparents, you know what that means. That means you get the grandkids and then you get to sugar them up and turn around and give them back to mom and dad. For God so loved the world that he gave. So we must, I think, rediscover that kind of love. I'll never forget the words of the song song that we sing in church quite often. I'm sure you sing it here. It's a story told of George Mathis in the 19th century who was courting his, uh, a young lady. And uh, their, court, their courting, not you, Pam, their courting grew and grew and grew to the place where they became engaged. And it was during the time of their engagement as the date of their wedding grew more and more. It was during that time um, that he experienced an immovable object in his life, that is, George. And the immovable object was this. The immovable object was the fact that he was going to go blind. 
And his blindness was going to impact his life in such a way that it would forever, forever impact their relationship. And so she discovered, obviously, that this was going to impact her relationship with George. And so she had a decision to make. She said, will I remain tied to him, to a man who is going to be blind, or will I continue to follow and pursue and be married to him? Now who, that's, a, that's an immovable object. So she made the decision. She came to George uh, late one night and she said to him, George, I'm very sorry, but I cannot see myself married to a blind person. And she turned and pivoted and walked out of his life. Now George, at that time, was very, very much a follower of Jesus, this child of Bethlehem. And in the brokenness of that moment, and in the tears of that shattered heart, and, and the, the crashed dreams that lay around his feet, he penned these words. O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O oh, light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. And then this third verse is the one that just grabs me. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead and from the ground there blossoms red life, life that shall endless be. O oh, love that will not let me go. And I say this morning that I want to be that kind of person. O oh, love that will not let me go. That regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the immovable object, that I will remember that for God so loved the world that he came. He pushed through the barriers that surrounded our universe. He came to this world in a way that nobody anticipated so that we would never be the same again. And pushing through those barriers, he set the trajectory for you and I to be eternal and not temporary. And death was defeated. As I like to say, it was the death of death. And I can easily love a God who killed death so that I can live and love 
and learn and leap. And yes, I'm an Adventist who can dance because of who he is and what he did. The story is told of Chuck Yeager. Chuck Yeager was the first human being who broke the sound barrier. And the story is told in his book where he tells about getting to the place of breaking that sound barrier. And he describes the vehicle that he was in at the time, because it wasn't a plane where it started. It was a vehicle on the ground, I think out in the Mojave Desert. And several had gone before him and tried to break the sound barrier to get to that Mach 1 point. And he experienced, as he was getting faster and faster and faster in that vehicle, he got to the place where he describes where suddenly he was at a place where the whole vehicle that he was in just began to shake uncontrollably. And everything around him felt like it was just going to explode. And if he kept going and going and going, it was going to explode. And he couldn't do it anymore. And, so, and then he remembered those who had gone before in their stories. And they all said the same thing. They all said, man, we got to that point and we just weren't sure that the thing was going to hold together. So we backed off the accelerator and stepped back and never broke it. And he said, in that moment, I remember thinking about them and knowing what this situation was and knowing what the story was and knowing what was going to happen in this vehicle and not knowing what was on the other side. And so he said, I just determined at that point that I was going to put my foot even down more and whatever happened, happened. And he said, as that vehicle shook and shook and shook and he thought it was just going to disintegrate with him sitting in the seat, suddenly he pushed it and he broke through the barrier, the sound barrier. He got to the other side and he said this, he said, once I got to the other side, it was like I was driving on glass. It was smooth, calm. Where everyone had backed off, Chuck Yeager went forward. So I ask you this morning, you don't, I ask you, I make the statement that I ask, you do not have the capacity to love. And so when you face unlove, how shall you live in that moment? <laughs> I ask that because I know you're going to have family around with you for Christmas. And there's going to be embarrassing Uncle Joe. And there's going to be those kids that are just going to get on your nerves. Are you going to push through the barriers in love? I tell one last story. Story of Jan Buderuski, world-class pianist, who was playing at a black tie affair. Coat, tails, everything, in a large auditorium. And for whatever reason, that day, a mother with all the intentions, because of her love for her son, nine-year-old son, she had been giving him piano lessons paying for his piano lessons, and he was struggling a little bit, as nine-year-olds can do around the time of, time to practice, son. You know, there are some that don't, you know, that was okay for you, but not everyone's like you. So at nine years old, she said, I have got to find a way, because I love my son so much, I have got to find a way 
to get him to be inspired to want to be a good pianist, to continue with it and to practice so that he can see what the outcome was. So she decided, and she had heard that Jan Puderewski was going to be in her area, so she went to this black tie affair in, at his concert, and she sat in the very back row of this big auditorium, surrounded by all these ladies and gentlemen in all of their finest clothes, tuxes, top hats, everything. And as she sat back there, she waited for the concert to begin, for this great concert pianist to come up on stage, to move to the piano, and to begin to play. Suddenly she was so mesmerized by all of this environment, she did not realize that her nine-year-old son was not nearly as mesmerized. So he got up and left his seat. And from the back row, he began to walk down the middle. And suddenly she heard all these people, oh, who's that boy? And she began to look around. Her son wasn't there. It was her son coming down the middle of the aisle in front of this whole thing, kind of like my son going to Disney. And she was in kind of a similar situation and she looked at that child and all of a sudden all the heads of all these people began to turn their, their faces away from the stage and began to look at this boy and began to say, who is this boy? Where is the mother? How could any mother, number one, bring their child to this? And number two, just let their child wander around this place unsupervised as he began to come forward. And then as a child, nine years old, he had the audacity not just to come to the edge of the platform. He found those stairs and he came up the stairs of the platform. And now the mother is now hiding under the seat. And everybody is looking to string up a mother somewhere. Totally unhappy. And that child comes up to the top of the stairs and goes to the piano. And now the mother's really turning all shades and the child puts his hands on the piano and he begins to play. Now let me hit the pause button for a moment. My wife is a, uh, got a, a degree in piano and the piano that she played in her uh, undergrad program was a piano that was only opened two times a year and cost well over $100,000 for that piano because it had to be tuned and everything else. So now here is this nine-year-old with his dirty, snotty fingers touching the piano in front of all of these people who had paid top dollar to hear this world-class pianist, and he put his fingers on that piano, on the ebony and the ivory, and he began to tickle it. And he started playing what every nine-year-old child could play back in the day, chops, chopsticks. And now mom was thoroughly, had lost every sense of ownership of that child. But something amazing happened in that moment. Jan had been in the background, in the back room, finalizing all his preparation, all doing all his warm-ups with his fingers and everything. Had put his, his coat on, and suddenly he began to hear this sound from the stage that he had never anticipated that he would hear. And he had no idea what was going on. And meanwhile, everybody outside, he could hear the murmuring growing louder and louder and louder in the auditorium. And Jan began to think, what is going on out there? And he began to come out from the back and he peeked and he saw this nine-year-old playing chopsticks. So Jan follows. He steps out from behind where he was. 
And unbeknownst to the nine-year-old, who's just really trying to focus on chopsticks, Jan comes up behind this nine-year-old. He walks up behind him slowly. And the nine-year-old is just playing that chopsticks as best as he can, banging his way through on this $150,000 piano. And Jan comes up to him, and now everybody's watching, because they can see Jan. And they're waiting to see how this pianist, world-class pianist, is going to straighten this kid out. Pull him up off there. You get. And Jan comes up to him, and he leans over where the child is playing, and he whispers to the child, he says, Keep playing. Don't stop. Keep playing. Don't stop. Then Jan takes his massive arms in his hands. He puts them around the young nine-year-old child. And to the song of chopsticks, Jan Paderewski begins to add counter melodies and all these different components to the song so that a crowd who paid hundreds of dollars to come hear this class, world-class pianist, now heard chopsticks like they had never heard it before. As Jan comes and helps the child whose love is questioned, but Jan comes up to him and makes beauty out of his sluggish play through chopsticks. And I am so grateful that we have a God who puts his arms around us in the midst of the messiness of our life. And he says, don't stop, keep playing. And he adds a melody and a counter melody that we have never heard so that we will continue because he has a love for us that will not let us go. Amen. Minded that you are born and you were born to save. And I pray, God, that as we live out this next week, as we go through the hustle and bustle of the final days of gift shopping, that we will never forget the greatest gift. And there is nothing that can satisfy the deep longings of our heart by what is under a Christmas tree. But what satisfies the deep longing of our hearts is our connection to you. So God, make that happen in our lives, even at deeper levels this week is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.